We are the Marcelin Brothers, and this is the Marcelin Brothers Podcast, MBP for short. We are here to share our story and to contribute our thoughts about everyday topics in life. Time to sit back, relax, and get ready for the MVP attack. What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? Today is March 15th. 2020 and if you are listening or watching you are listening or watching to the marcelin brothers podcast we have m squared in the house what is going on to my wonderful awesome brother slash podcaster marvelous marcelin it is great to be back i'm back y'all i'm back it's been a while and uh it feels good all right we gotta ask we gotta ask so what's been going on? You know, I've been trying to take care of business. Um, came back from preparing and taking and studying for my boards, for my surgical boards. So I've taken them. I'm done. We'll see what happens. And um, it's a good feeling. It's a good uh, weight off your shoulders. And I have one more set to go uh, later on in the year. So this is going to be in May. We're going to take some more. And, uh, you know, now I need to buckle down and take care of some things that I had to push over. And, you know, it's good to be back. Well, ladies and gentlemen, as Marvin's been gone, I mean, he hasn't talked about one of the bigger things that he does and has done. And if you guys can take a look right now, if you are in <laughs> your viewing on the YouTube channel. You Looks can see, a little blurred. I know, I know, I know. I'm trying to make a focus, but essentially, okay, that's a little better right there. So that is Marvin Lewis Marston right there. And my man ended up doing a webinar and he did his webinar. The title of the webinar was Racial and Gender Disparity in Lower Extremity Amputations in Philadelphia. He ended up doing a webinar on February 28th and he did his thing, so I've got to make sure that everybody knows that he is becoming bigger, and he did a great job. So, Marvin, I just want to make sure that I said this on behalf of the Marston Brothers podcast. Keep on representing you, because as you do well, you push this podcast well. So, how did you feel when you did the po- how did you feel when you did the webinar, man? Felt pretty good. Felt pretty good, and I also felt as though that this podcast has prepared me for it because, you know, the mic was on. I had the audience for a good hour, and it was just me speaking, uh, giving uh, education and just uh, teaching and showing people things that I've seen, the trends that were going on, and it felt good just being able to bestow that information on others. And it seemed as though that the the following was very receptive. Uh, People enjoyed what I had to say, and... You know, I'd like to do it again in the future. Well, there you go, man. I'm glad that we were able to support you in that training. And again, that's all you. So congratulations. Keep up the good work. And I look forward to seeing more of these webinars from you because you're just doing wonderful. So keep up the good work. So what's going on with me? Well, it is March. So March Ooh, is my wait, birthday wait, wait, wait. month. Yeah, birthday I was about month. to say, it sounds like someone is getting close to a birthday. Let's yes. go. Yes, yes, yes. So it's 
it is my birthday month, and generally on my birthday month, I try to celebrate for the whole month. But you know, with a lot of things going on in healthcare right now, and that's one of the things that we'll be talking about today. I need to make sure I'm able to do what I need to do to make sure that we take care of the people that we need to take care of. So generally, I like to do my birthday week off, and I like to take a vacation on my birthday week. But look, stuff happens at work, and for me, the way that I look at it is I'm very blessed enough to, one, have the opportunity to be able to help serve and support patients who are sick, and I'm blessed to have that opportunity. So you know what? I can move that week you know, to another week, and it'll be fine. But no, it's the birthday weekend. It's really quick because there's been lots of stuff going on, and I can't believe it's already the 15th. And my yeah. birthday will be on the 18th. So it literally has flown by just because I haven't had time to really sit and do anything. But, you know, I took a day off on Friday. And, well, that was also because I, <laughs> I need to start taking time off because I'm about to <laughs> max out on my, my paid time off. But no, I mean, that's what we got going on there. You know, my daughter, Felia, is doing well. Leah's doing well. Baby number two, she's growing well right now. So I really can't complain. Very blessed life and family is doing good and work is doing good. So thanks for asking. Perfect, perfect, perfect. So you know, the elephant in the room is coronavirus. So I figured, you know, let's plan on talking a little bit more about this. Last week, MVP crew, I kind of did a soliloquy. We talked a little bit about coronavirus and we talked about, you know, a little bit about what are some of the precautions we have to be able to do just to make sure we're taking care of ourselves. And again, you know, just from a, a simple, a simplistic way of discussing coronavirus, you know, coronavirus, again, is a type of virus. And with viruses, you know, the main way you know, there aren't any, they, these are different than, you know, bacteria, where usually with bacteria, you have a certain type of antibiotic that you can use to eradicate the bacteria. But viruses are a little different because the mechanisms of how they, they breach upon hosts are different than bacteria. So because of that, there's different ways of having to eradicate these. Generally, you have viruses that help prevent any new transmissions that come through your body has an immune response and is able to take care of that. But but when it comes to actually defeating a virus, you kind of have to let it take its course. So because of that, you know, ways that people have to combat this coronavirus, it's, you know, again, as a simplistic way of describing it, it's like, you know, any other type of virus and you take it and you have to let it run its course and then it's gone. But this one seems a little different, Marvin. You know, why Why do people, why are we hearing everything that we're hearing? Like a lot of people describe it like the flu. And I, and I still do describe it like the flu. And my, my perspective on this is, you know, when it's flu season, you've got to make sure that you're washing your hands. You've got to make sure that you practice proper hand hygiene. You know, not putting your hands to your face. If you're coughing and you're sick, don't go to work. If you are one who is sick, you know, try not to transmit that disease by coughing, cough into your throat, you know, always, or into your arm or your hand, wash your hands. And, you know, that's the best way that you can help yourself. But it seems like the symptoms of this coronavirus, you know, again, still very similar, but it seems like it's, it's just a lot more. So we got a couple of articles that we wanted to talk about, talking about the coronavirus, and we'll just see where things go. So one of them is going to be more from the perspective of what to do from the health and one of it's going to be 
is going to discuss more of supply chain issues that are associated with the coronavirus. So I don't know if you wanted to add anything, Marvin, before we go into these stories based off of maybe some experiences you've seen so far, or whether it's you taking care of people or just you in the facilities that you worked at before we go forward with some of these conversations. I mean, with these conversations, it's extremely important to you know try to seek out uh, the actual knowledge when it comes to all of this. And you know, I know it's very easy to succumb to just social media and try to go down a certain rabbit hole when it comes to conspiracies and whatnot. But all in all, you know, all the things that you've been saying is you know right on. We need to treat this like a, a regular virus. You need to make sure that you continually wash your hands. Um, if you feel sick, you know, say, take some time off, stay at home. And then just like what you're saying, when you're coughing, you know, cough on your hands if you need to, make sure you wash your hands. But it'll be great if you can cough on your shoulder, if you can go ahead and make sure that you're not um, in front of an, another individual so that you have the ability to um, spread that infection. Um, all in all, I, I do work at a hospital and you know, I'm seeing a lot of patients and a lot of patients do come by uh, from the private practice point of view. Um, they ask questions about the coronavirus and everything. And, you know, I'm not trained in epidemiology, nor am I uh, trained when it comes to this sickness as a whole. But what I can say is, you know, do take it seriously. Uh, do listen to the authorities. Do listen to um, what the individuals uh, at the CDC as well as the World Health Organization are telling us in their recommendations because at the end of the day, that is what they do for a living and they are the professionals for this type of matter. So again, it's important to you know, take this seriously. Um, it's not, not a joke and let's all work together to make sure that we keep uh, the whole you know, environment society as safe as possible all right man so that being said let's start talking about some articles so the the article that i'm going to read is you know americans are going to have to hunker down significantly more to fight coronavirus and this was written today by the nbc news and this was written by alan smith so Dr. Anthony Fauci, the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, told NBC the press Sunday that Americans should be prepared, that they're going to have to hunker down significantly more than we as a country are doing to fight the growing COVID-19 outbreak. Asked if the U.S. should consider a 14-day national shutdown similar to those in Europe, he said, I would prefer as much as possible we possibly could. I think we should really be overly aggressive and get criticized for overreacting. The United States has surpassed 2,000 confirmed cases of coronavirus, though the actual number of the infected could be much larger because testing isn't yet widespread. At least 60 people have died in the United States due to complications from the virus. Fauci said that the goal now is to blunt the curve of confirmed cases, keeping the number of those infected low enough so as not to overwhelm the U.S. hospital system. If you let the curve get up there, then the entire society is going to be hit, he said. In response to the crisis, some states and localities have already banned large gatherings and school closed. Sports leagues have suspended play and a handful of elections and state party conventions have been postponed. The presidential campaign is now going virtual with 
President Donald Trump, Senator Bernie Sanders, and former Vice President Joe Biden having canceled rallies and and other in-person events. Fauci said he's let the Trump administration know of his feelings on this, adding that they listen and, for the most part, go with what we say. Of the elderly and those with underlying conditions, it's said that they should really hunker down. An NBC News Wall Street Journal poll released Sunday found that 60% of Americans believe the worst is yet to come in the crisis, with 40% saying their day-to-day lives will change as a result. Of Trump's handling of the outbreak, 45% of the voters said they approved. On the initial lack of testing of the virus, which was has led to the widespread criticism of the administration's handling of the outbreak, the doctor said a sea of change has been made, adding that early on we weren't in a situation where we can get the test out in a broad way. He said that this would soon be changing. Last week, he told a House hearing that the system was not really geared to what we really need now regarding the test kits, saying it is a it is failing. Let's admit it. Asked on Sunday about the cases of people outside the stated risk groups having contracted the severe symptoms overseas, Fauci said researchers will want to make sure the virus hasn't changed, adding that while younger people are much less at risk, that doesn't mean that they're not going to get infected and they'll be infecting older people. Fauci said called on elective surgeries to be delayed and to keep hospitals to those who absolutely need to be there. If you feel possible symptoms of the virus, Fauci said to contact the physician and get instructions on how to be tested, but stay home. So when we're looking at this article, I think within the last week, week and a half, you know, what we've ended up seeing is, you know, at first the coronavirus was all the way in China and has slowly migrated from, you know, China. I feel like it's been going from there. It's been going west until it has eventually reached the Americas. And I think I saw somewhere earlier today, I think 49 out of the 50 states had confirmed cases of coronavirus. And, you know, it's just a matter of time where that 50th state is going to be there. You know, we learned that we are now considering the COVID-19 to be an actual pandemic. And I think there is lots of fear and stress in what's going on, you know, you see things like supply chain being issued, you see, you know, stock market, you know, you're seeing issues with that, you're seeing just society as a whole, everything is being combated with this. And I think it's difficult because it's affecting social life. So it's, it's a lot. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, people have started to start talking about is, you know, as a healthcare system, what can we do as the United States to be able to take care of the patients who are going to be sick? Like we talked about before, it's one of those things where we, there's not a vaccine for it at this point. So at this point, it's, you know, the virus is going to be, it's here. And everybody's talking about this flattening of the curve. So Marvin, you know, tell me a little bit about what you know, you are understanding when they're talking about the flattening of the curve. There's lots of pictures that they've you've seen on social media, on the news, where you've got two different curves. You've got one curve that is more like a a, a quick peak and a quick drop, and it goes through. And then you've got one curve that's more elongated, and there's a dotted line, 
and a lot of people are talking about this. So tell me what you understand from this, and let me see if I can help you know pick up based off of what you've seen. I don't know if you've seen that curve yet or not. Now, I am going to go out on a limb and say that I unfortunately have not had too much time, you know, out there in the media looking at the curve because, um, again, I was doing other things, mainly studying for my boards. But um, when it comes to the curve, could you elaborate a little more uh, in regards to what, what you mean by that curve? Is this um, a curve when it comes to uh, the number of individuals who are uh, infected with COVID-19 or when it comes to just how pandemics occur, like how long it takes before certain regions uh, eventually get to, uh, how long it takes for individuals to get succumbed by the virus or is it just in general? Yeah. You, want, you want to come podcast? We're going to podcast. No, I'm going to Auntie Ali's house. Okay, you're going to go to Auntie Ali's house? Okay. I'll see you soon. Okay, so what what I have? Uh, hi, Ophelia. <laughs> so let, let's take a look at this curve real quick, Marvin. So okay, okay. So from something that I have heard when it comes to the curve, um, or something like the curve, the issue from how I understand it in this country is access to care. What do okay. I mean by that? Um, we have the ability to see a number of individuals who are sick. That's mm -hmm. granted. Mm -hmm. But the angle that I was told is the number of ventilators that we mm -hmm. have mm -hmm. in this country. I heard a statistic, a number uh, ranging up to around 100,000 ventilators in this country. And the other issue that we're, we're concerned about is... If it comes to a point where people need to get ventilized in order to um, help them get better, if, if there's not enough of these machines, what happens? Do doctors have to then pick and choose to, to determine who is sick enough and who truly needs it versus who may not 100% necessarily need it, even though it could be... Uh, something that can help them get better a little quicker. And so this is something that um, we kind of fear and we don't want for this to be something that we have to run into. So the best way to prevent that is for individuals who feel that they are sick, um, they need to self-quarantine. And what self-quarantine essentially means is um, if you've been exposed to the virus or if you think you've been exposed, you need to take a step back. You need to stay home. Right now, they're saying for at least two weeks. And, and with the self-quarantine, it's for individuals who don't know if or if they don't have COVID-19. It's not a matter of, oh, if you have been declared as having it, then you have to stay at home for two weeks. It's no, it's you're not sure if you have it or not. You've been exposed. It's best to just take a step back, um, stay at home for two weeks so that um, your body has a time to go through the process to determine whether or not you actually have it. And then during that time, um, you can try to get tested to get definitive uh, results so that then you know specifically 
what you can do in order to get better. So when it comes to um, that curve, for me, the way I understood it was um, in regards to how many how many resources we have in this country as a whole from the hospital point of view and how many people could potentially need to have to use it. And in order to uh, break down those numbers such that we have enough facilities as well as equipment to take care of the individuals who actually need it, um, the best way to keep those numbers down would be to just prevent people from getting sick in the first place. And what we know right now is that self-quarantine, that staying home and, and trying to uh, wait so that this virus can pass on on its own. Because again, viruses need living hosts in order to survive. But if you prevent the virus from spreading, then the virus will not be able to continue on. So, you know, when you look at this curve, what's interesting is if you look, so the assumption that this curve is making is a couple of things. So one is that, you know, no matter what curve you're on, the amount of people who are going to be sick are still going to be sick. The question is going to be, are you going to have a, is it you get sick, everybody gets sick at the same time and then everybody's done or is it going to be a gradual thing where the, instead of everybody being sick in two weeks, you maybe stretch it out in a course of maybe a few months. And when you're looking at that, it's going to be the same amount of people who are going to have it because once this virus is there, you know, there's really going to be no way that the virus can't continue to spread unless there is some sort of vaccine that prevents it because it's out there. And the only way that we would definitely be able to make sure that the virus can spread is that nobody comes in contact with anybody for a extended amount of time. And once everybody who has been infected is not infected anymore, then the virus can't spread to anybody else because there's nowhere else that virus can spread to. But because of the way that we are in society, you have to have people who are doing things because if you don't have anybody doing anything, then society stops. You need people who are working at a hospital to take care of patients. You need people to be able to make the products who are going to help the people who are working in the hospital. You need individuals to make the food for the people who are going to be working at the hospital to do this stuff. You need people to clean. You, you need everybody in society to do their share of things so that the world can continue to go through. So because of that, there's no way that we can have everybody not be at work at the same time. So if we're going by that premise of the amount, same amount of people who are going to be infected are going to be infected, but we're trying to spread it out, that means more people have an opportunity to be treated for those who really need, need to be treated. So the question is, what is the treatment? Again, we talked about coronavirus is not a cure, but generally with viruses, the therapy for viruses when you're getting sick is supportive measures. So what is supportive measures? So a lot of it just depends on what is being manifested from this illness itself. So sometimes when people have the flu, you have a fever or the coronavirus, you have fever, you have respiratory issues, you have difficulties, maybe breathing. So these are the main things that you have. And depending on the person who gets the sickness, and how strong their immune system is, is going to be what type of manifestations that you have. So with these ventilators, the reason why ventilators are such a hot topic is because 
if individuals are having respiratory issues and they're not able to breathe, if they're not able to breathe, they, they're they not going to be able to oxygenate different areas of their body. And if you don't have those areas of your body oxygenated, then you're going to go into organ failure. And if you go into organ failure, then eventually you are going to die. So individuals who have respiratory dysfunction and can't breathe, they can't get that oxygenation. So that's where you have these respirators who that help emulate the breathing function so that you can continue to have oxygen and the oxygen will then go into your red blood cells and that will help oxygenate all of the different major organs in your body, which will continue to allow you to be able to go on. So the question is, if you've got so many people who are being sick at the same time, then no, there's there's maybe close to 6,000 hospitals in the United States. And if every single person is being sick at the same time, we know that 6,000 6, hospitals can't get everything because you, first off, you are already still in flu season. Two, you're still kind of in winter, so you already have more people who are in these hospitals. And now on top of that, you have an additional type of infection that is being spread. So you're having to build on top of the resources that are already scarce. So this whole flattening of the curve is we still have the same amount of sickness, but let's space it out so that everybody still has an opportunity to be able to take, get taken care of, but it's just going to be around for a lot longer. But at least for those who really are sick, you know, they can be taken care of. Now, there's other caveats that you have to take a look at when you look at this chart. Just because you have this COVID-19 doesn't mean you are going to be hospitalized. You have lots of different people who are going to be exhibiting this manifestation in different ways. For some people, I think I read somewhere where about 80% of the cases are mild, and it's those 20% that are medium and high. And those are what you're having to take a look at. And yes, you know, generally your elderly population are going to be the individuals who are going to be affected the most because their immune systems are going to be the ones that are going to be affected the most. You're going to have your immunocompromised people. You're going to have individuals who have multiple comorbidities. Those are the ones that are, it's going to be more difficult for this virus to get rid of in your system versus your teenage individual who has no comorbidities, who is healthy, who is an athlete, who is able to take care of themselves because they're just at a different state in their immunology. So that is this whole big push. And that's where this whole social distancing that people have been talking about is so important. And the thought process, again, with the social distancing is, is trying to decrease the, the rate that people are getting sick. And it's the same common rules that we share with individuals when it is flu season, when people are sick, we tell people again, go home. The reason why we do that is because we don't want everybody to be sick at the same time. And now you have everybody on a floor sick. So then there's no productivity that's, that's there. You want them to go home, get sick, get better, and then come back. So they're not spreading this type of infection that's going on. So that's kind of how I've seen that. And this is something that is not new. You know, we're not, this is not something that's novel to this whole, you know, COVID-19. You've seen this happen to, you know, different types of, of sicknesses all along. I mean, with, you know, different flus in the past, with the bird flu, this is something that people were seeing with different types of just sicknesses in general, that's why you always have to make sure that you're spreading people out. And that's the reason why you don't have the concerts, you don't have the parade, you don't have the festivals, you don't have the sporting events, because, you know, if you think about it, people come to one area, 
they all talk and they watch one certain event and then everybody goes back to their separate homes. If you're talking about sports, you've got teams who are traveling to a certain arena who aren't from that area. And then from that perspective, once they're, they're done, then they go back to wherever they're from before. Then you've got another city that visits them in another city. So it's almost like that game pandemic. I don't know if you remember that pandemic game. There was a game online where you had to try to build some sort of virus. And the goal was to see how much destruction you can do based off of the virus that you had. And, and that's what we're trying to avoid when we're taking a look at that. So that's kind of my piece. That's kind of my take. And that's the reason why there is such a big push with this whole social distancing. And again, it's what we are supposed to be doing for any type of sicknesses. But I think it's kind of been revitalized just because of what people are starting to see with the potency of this virus and what people are starting to see with just the statistics that have been shared with this virus. So I thought that was an interesting article. Anything else you want to add on to that, man? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a couple of things. Um, one of which, so again, this is a novel virus. So this is the first time that we, as the, in the whole world, are dealing with this virus. But something I want to mention is, over time, we as a country, we as a population, will figure out um, uh, some sort of vaccine for the virus in the future. And um, I think. Anytime a new virus comes about and you, you experience it for the first time, this is something that potentially can happen, right? The, the spread of it. And then over time, our individuals who are able to uh, defeat the virus, they develop antibodies that allow them to have memory to not have the same exact virus as it is, as, as they have gotten it in the first time. And so if we have the ability to get those antibodies, create a vaccine, um, this is something that can help people out in the future. So um, in the future cycles, I think we will be better equipped to combat the COVID-19 coronavirus. But because this is the first time that we've been um, experiencing this, it, it may be difficult. Yeah, I think, again, it's, this is not the exact same thing, but... When H1N1 came out, that was kind of a big thing, you know, and eventually what you see now is in that H1N1 that is now added to the flu vaccine. So when you're looking at flu vaccines in the future, there what ends up happening is you try to figure out what that most common strain that's going to be out there. There's lots of different strains that they try to come up with in the vaccine so that when you get it, then hopefully you will not get affected with whatever popular you know, vaccine or whatever popular influenza strains that will be out in that next year. And a lot of it is trying to make an educated guess. But just because you take the flu shot, it doesn't mean that you're not going to get the flu because maybe the strain of the flu that you're getting is going to be different than the strain that was in that vaccine. So I do think like with, you know, the with the swine flu, all the different types of flus, you know, it takes some time to figure out how to eradicate it as far as, you know, what type of strain you're going to put in there. So I do feel that once this is passed and either you're going to be inoculated with it and the next time if you've gotten it so that the next time this strain comes around again, you're not going to get it again because you may have had that strain before or the vaccine is going to have this and when you take that vaccine, it's a much milder case of this. It's usually going to be a inactivated 
type of virus that you're going to be taking so that you're able to elicit this response. But it definitely will be better in the, in the future. I think with this whole, you know, you're seeing, for instance, you know, schools are starting to the close there. I know down here in South Florida, it's almost spring break for the Broward and Dade schools. And what they're doing for their Broward schools is spring break should have been not this week coming up, but next week. They're just essentially tacking on an additional week. And because of that, then you now have two weeks, which is kind of like that whole 14 day, you know, quarantine. You know, it's a light quarantine where you're not going to school. And again, the whole purpose of this 14 day thing is if you do have something, your home, the thought is that the the life cycle of the vac- of the, the virus may be 14, but you know, you that that may not actually be factual based off of, you know, how severe it is in you. But having everybody come home, you know, they rest up. If they have it, then they're better. But, you know, what will be interesting is we are in spring break and we know that just because you're on spring break and you're not in school doesn't mean you're not out in the open. And for collegiates, spring break is a time where people go to different areas of the country they enjoy themselves and then they eventually go back to school. So what do you think about what could happen from that? Because at least in South Florida, we have individuals coming out from spring break from the first week of March and last week of February all the way until the end of April. So what are you thinking when it comes to something like that? Yeah, with something like that, I think right now um, you're seeing more towns and states and areas adopt um, measures to prevent groups of large gatherings. So I think in the area where I'm at, more or less, they're saying stuff like um, gatherings of over 200 people for specific entertainment events are highly frowned upon. And so when it comes to, you know, spring breakers, I think more individuals will be, you know, staying home or staying put for the most part and not gathering together for just big social gatherings right now. And I think that will slow down the rate in which, um, you know, coronavirus, COVID-19 gets spread. And I think that will, you know, attribute to that that's that curve. That's what you're talking about. Um, just slow down the progression. And I think people will adhere to that. Uh, at least that's what it looks like right now. And you're exactly right. Up here in the Northeast, a lot of colleges have, you know, canceled classes for um, the remainder of the winter and extending into um, the beginning portions of spring. And a lot of them are going to reassess um, later on in, in the April time to see if classes should be coming back or if they're going to just keep it uh, canceled indefinitely until the next year, until the fall. So, um, you know, people are making measures to adhere to the recommendations of just you know, slowing down and, and, and not gathering a huge amount of people in one specific area in order to help prevent the spread of COVID-19. That's crazy, man. I mean, I don't know. You know, again, like we talked about before, you know, this will pass and, you know, I don't want to minimize this, but again, it's just making sure what is the best thing that you can do. So again, washing your hands with soap and water. You know, if you have the antibacterial stuff, you know, making sure that the, it's not just any type of antibacterial. You've got to make sure that the alcohol content 
in that antibacterial is, is high enough because the isopropyl alcohol, I think it's got to be around 65 or 70 percent, I think is what it's got to have in there. So making sure that whatever type of hand sanitizer that you have has, has the proper amount. And then again, like we talked about before, you've got to make sure that you're washing your hands, try to get away from contacting the mucous membranes, and that's just the best thing that you can do for that. So we, we, I think we, we've talked about the curve. What are some of the other effects that we are seeing from this coronavirus? And I think you've got an article to talk just about that. So go on ahead, Martin. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. So this article that I'm going to be uh, discussing with you is from NBC News, and it is entitled, Shelves are Empty, But When Will They Be Restocked? If stores cut hours excessively, or if hourly employees such as shelf stockers or cashiers self-quarantine and don't show up for work, lines could grow, one retail consultant said. Um, Stores are racing to replenish depleted shelves and to calm shoppers anxiously preparing for coronavirus disruptions, but are having trouble meeting the heightened demand. Hand sanitizer is going to be very difficult to have 100% on stock for some time. Walmart CEO said at a White House press conference on Friday, we're still replenishing it and shipping it, but as soon as it hits the stores, it's going. Um, McMillan, who is a Walmart CEO, said a stress supply chain was responsible for the racks of bare paper product, water, and cleaning supplies. All the retailers have been working hand-in-hand with suppliers to bring that to the market as fast as we can, he said. Retailers are rerouting supplies to areas of the country that need it most. To prevent hoarding, they're applying or giving store managers power to set limits on the number of individual items a customer can buy in a single trip. As always, our focus is to have merchandise available for our members at low warehouse prices, a Costco uh, spokesperson told NBC News. In a statement, Tarkid said its team is working around the clock to make sure that the products you want are available when you need them. As demand for cleaning products, medicine, pantry stock items, and more remains high, we're sending, at, we're sending more products to our stores as quickly as possible. Some source said they'd be preparing for the possibility of this outbreak leading to increased purchase behavior and were poised to switch to additional supply options and modified operations. Um, Mabry Jackson, director of public affairs for Texas supermarket chain HEB, tweeted, the retailer, has been preparing for coronavirus for several months, and we are in a strong position to keep replenishing our shelves. Customers should not panic. We have the ability to restock shelves and encourage our customers to remain calm. The store also announced it was temporarily reducing its store hours at most locations. The pace of restocking and whether the supplies last long will depend on customer behavior and how much inventory each store's wholesaler or supplier has in the pipeline, retail grocery consultant Joe Walsh said. It's a store-by-store case, but for majority of chains and independents, they will replenish from their wholesaler immediately, he said. Every case of bath tissue currently produced in pipeline at a wholesaler or warehouse, all those are spoken for. The real crunch is not the next shipment to restock after after this week's panic buying, but the one that comes after, said Walsh. 
They all have to buy from the same five to six places, he said, referring to the manufacturers. We're going to see limits, allocations, restrictions. If they get five cases a week of Charmin, they might be able to buy 10. Customers should brace for the possibility of long lines, limits on number of items they can purchase, the disappearance of discounts for high-demand items, and the possibility of price increases, said Walsh. And if stores cut hours excessively, or if hourly employees such as shelf stockers or cashiers self-quarantine and don't show up to work, lines can grow. Logistics experts said they expect stores will quickly figure out how to cope with the surprise spike in purchasing. The real reason for things running out is run by shoppers. Anneth Iyer, a professor of operations management at Purdue University, said they believe they need more of it and are not sure if it will be available when they want it. Retailers, given demand, will find a way to generate supply. But smaller stores in particular may have to pay more if they want to get resupplied sooner. Stores could try to convince shoppers to take a smaller order now and sign up for the rest of the order next week or sign up for weekly delivery and get more shoppers to buy groceries online, Iyer suggested. That option might calm people, he said. So, all in all, I think this article is just giving you a snapshot in time of what's going on right now. And they're kind of trying to explain to you uh, the problems from operations side as far as why um, items in the store shelves are diminishing. And they seem to not be restocking as quickly as individuals want. And so I feel like this article is uh, its interesting because it just shows that in any given time, everyone is involved. Everyone can be affected. So whether it's the workers who are working and if they need to get self-quarantined, um, that may also pose a reason why supplies the supply line is disrupted. But at the same time, it could be from the point of view of certain shoppers are buying excessively more than they actually need in, in fear. That could also um, affect the supply line as well. So it's it's there's no one individual person that you can point a finger at to describe and tell why this is happening, but it's collectively all of us. And so this is also another reason why having knowledge, education is very important so that we all could um, get through, you know, what's going on together. I think when we're looking at supply chain, the way that it works with supply chain is you will have companies who will forecast before the current year how much product they are going to be looking at making for a given amount of time. This information is usually based off of previous year's accounts. You know, they look at the amount that they made, they look at what the supply, they look at the demand, how much was left over, and based off of this, they try to come up with a certain amount to be able to make for the next year. So what ends up happening is these are based off of quote-unquote normal circumstances or conditions. And what ends up happening is when you do have things that disrupt the lifestyle of individuals, when you have cases such as hurricanes, national disasters, you have 
I guess, epidemics and pandemics, these things are going to affect the supply chain because this wasn't accounted for initially. And it's very difficult to all of a sudden ramp up or down items because all this information is based off of resources that you have. You have to, if you have 10 employees and you're able to make 100 stuff, if you have those same 10 employees, you can't all of a sudden make 1,000 stuff because usually there's these calculations of how much things you can make at one point. So what ends up happening with things like this is you have a panic, which is some sort of stimulus, and this panic then causes other people to panic because at the same time, what is your normal pattern when it comes to going and purchasing stuff? Like for me, for instance, I usually go to the store once a week. It's usually on Saturday. I have my stuff that I always buy. And if everybody has that normal routine, then we're fine. But then what happens now if I go to the store two times a week or other people go to the store two times a week or you have a big academic and everybody goes to the store at the same time? This is why you start having shortages when it comes to certain items that are your mainstay items because people feel that they have to get more than what they normally do because there is a fear that they can't get it later. And when you have these items happening, you can't keep up with it. And then more people see what's going on and then more people start acting on it. And then you have social media, you have the news who talk about it, which means more people get more excited about it. And you get to this cycle of, of never being able to catch up. So again, when it comes to this coronavirus, this is your example of, of times where things are difficult. And that's where, you know, it is difficult to get things. And unfortunately, you have individuals who may use opportunities like this to make a profit. And I mean, let me not say unfortunately, because, you know, in America, again, you know, we're, for instance, I, I, I'm a season ticket holder for the Miami Heat. If I don't go to a certain game, I may post my tickets on sale. And maybe, you know, if it's a game that is a little more popular, maybe the demand for that game is a little more, so you pay. But what is that balance between, you know, profiteering and price gouging? You know, there's got to be a, a certain thing. But that's what ends up happening is you not only have individuals who are going to the market more because they just want to make sure that they have a two-week supply or a three-week supply instead of a one-week supply. You also have individuals who are going to the market and they buy a lot because they know that it is difficult to get it. And then maybe they try to make a profit off of that too. So those are all the different things that happen when it comes to supply chain disruptions and this is and because of the coronavirus what you're starting to see is you're starting to see hand sanitizer i'm assuming paper towels is something big because maybe you when you're cleaning stuff you use the paper towels to clean the stuff is the only thing that i can think of toilet paper maybe it's a backup for for towels for paper towels and that's why they're doing toilet paper too you know, other than the obvious reasons of, of why you're using the toilet paper, you know, water is always going to be something that comes and goes based off of different things. But, you know, it's tough because if it's not a national disaster, you know, can you get by with what you actually have? And then again, your cleaning supplies, if you're you are fearful of of this COVID-19, you want to make sure you have cleaning supplies that are going to help clean up for that because you don't know how long it's going for. So, I mean, that's what happens. That's why it happens. And, you know, what do you think 
different companies and corporations can do to try to to decrease this whole supply and demand thing because maybe they don't want to stop it because maybe they make a profit off of it but there's there's got to be a balance because you can't continue with this track forever because then you supply chain may overmake and then now they're in trouble because people don't want to buy or your workers are worn out from having to put all these hours and then you're not able to produce anymore and now the amount that you're producing is less and less because eventually you've run out of raw materials maybe or you've run out of workers who are going to be able to make the product so what do you think about some things that you can do people can do to stop this and what can people do just to get more ahead of it so that they're not freaking out and they're panicking i mean from my point of view um, the way i see it is um purchase items that you will need when you need them. And I don't think this is a time where it's right to purchase items excessively with the point of withholding it from the public unless you pay an exuberant exuberant fee in order to distribute the items to other individuals. Again, this is my opinion with the whole price gouging. But I know that um, in order to prevent something like this from becoming extremely excessive, we would need you know, certain companies like Amazon, eBay to kind of track this information, like th- this type of thing, where if you see an item, let's, let's just pretend a certain cleaning supply naturally costs $10. But now, if you're seeing that, that that one supply is now, let's say, 10 times the price, now you're paying $100 for that one supply, maybe someone like Amazon, eBay could, you know, crack down on that and just say, what are you doing? Like, this is just wrong. Stop it. You know, and, and kind of prevent them from being able to, you know, sell those items at that excessively ridiculous price. Um, but like you said, um, you know, this type of thing will happen. We are a capitalist society, not saying that's right or wrong, but I think in this particular time, if we all work together as a community to prevent things like that from happening, this will help us out in the long run. So that's my personal opinion. Will this specifically happen? I don't know. Um, Hopefully, you know, we do have safeguards to prevent this and hopefully um, some of the safeguards from the, the governmental um, point of side is happening. I think uh, the government does prevent something like this happening to an extreme uh, aspect within specific retailers, right? I'm talking like um, your Walmarts or specific uh, grocery store chains, etc. I think they're not able to do that. But when you're going down to the individual um, person who is, you know, creating their own little business and selling things on the side, I think that's harder to stop. So hopefully the bigger organizations like the Amazons and the Ebays that have individuals under their umbrella, they could kind of prevent this because right now by price gouging, you are actively slowing down the ability for the society as a whole to get better because in the end it's better 
if your counterparts are all washing their hands, right? But if you're holding on to all of the supplies to clean up and only clean yourself, you are effectively hurting yourself because everyone else who actually will need it won't be able to clean themselves and they are the ones who would eventually infect you. So it would be in your best interest to allow other people to have access to these products to help keep themselves healthy so that you, in the end, will become healthy. So that's the way I see a big picture point of view. Yeah, I don't think you can say it better than that. I know that, you know, at least in Florida and I'm sure other places, you know, there are different health, there are different hotlines that you can call when you're reporting price gouging. So I know there's one number that's 8666, I'm sorry, 8669-NO-SCAM. That's the number that you can call if you want to report price gouging in the state of Florida. And also a lot of times, lots of people have, you know, Instagram handles or Twitter handles. And a lot of times you can report these individuals based off of what type of place that they're trying to sell these things so if you want to talk to amazon you want to talk to ebay you can pretty much do like an at ebay or at amazon and try to report this person because they've got people behind the scenes who are there to be able to help that and i think what one thing that suppliers can do is maybe do a limit as far as how much can you purchase in one setting i know a lot of times when you look at coupons for instance when you're trying to get rid of stuff from the shelves you'll see this little stipulation in fine print. Hey, you can you know, only limit one per household or, you know, you can max buy these amount. Like if you're going to Publix and you're trying to do a buy one, get one, there's usually something like this too because they want to make sure that people who want to purchase any item can, but you also don't want to make sure that the people who want to get it but they don't have an opportunity to because everything is sold out. So those are some of the different things that I think we can do as a society to make sure that people don't get too aggressive when it comes to some of these shortages that come up. Because like you said, you said it perfectly, you know, you in trying to profiteer end up hurting yourself because you're going to be infected by somebody who couldn't disinfect because you have everything. And there are also some other stories where, this is happening with Amazon where they are starting to look at anybody who's trying to sell things and they are issuing warnings or removing their products to be able to be sold from their platforms. So now it's almost like the last aha moment because now you've got individuals who bought all these things and now the, the amount that they can make is maybe a certain dollar amount that is more than what they purchased it for and maybe they bought all this at a certain amount and now they're not going to be able to make their money back because there's a limit as to how much they can purchase it for. So I thought that was interesting. So man, we, this was our coronavirus podcast episode. So we went over a lot of information, Marvin. So, you know, before we, we do our last takes, why don't you tell our fans how they can get at us if they like this information or they want to give us opportunities and recommendations of other things to talk about, Marvin. What are some different ways that America can get a hold of the Marston Brothers podcast? Well, of course, you can always tune in to our, our Marston Brothers podcast episodes. You can get us you know, from iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcast as well. You can always email us too at 
Brothers at gmail.com. Yeah, man. And please, um, do us a favor. You know, take some time to give us a like. Also, you know, give us five stars if you want. And give us a good feedback. And if there's any topics that you'd like to, for us to talk about, please email us as well. We'd be happy to discuss it online or on there. All right, my man, that's a good recap. All right, so let's talk a little bit about our story. So my story was talking about, you know, this famous curve and things that we can do to try to decrease the risk of this virus and what we have to do to hunker down before we fight, before things get worse. And again, we're at the phase now, we're, we're almost at the hyper accumulation phase where you have the virus it is now in America. It you start seeing how it's able to be spread and how it's spread quickly. You know, you've got your first cases. I think in Washington State, I think is what what I remember seeing. And now you've got all these different places all over the country who are getting it. So that's your hyperaccumulation phase because now everybody's getting it, and now we're starting to get more and more people doing it. And I think what will end up happening is with you know, the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, Dr. Anthony Fauci, he has done, you know, a great job in, one, educating America. Hey, this is not something light. Yes, it is a, a virus. Yes, it is, you know, flu-like. But, you know, in order to avoid these outbreaks, we have to do something to be able to contain it. And in order to do that, things that we can take a look at doing are going to be your proper hand hygiene and your proper precautions. You got to make sure that you do your social distancing so it decreases the risk of you getting it. You know, looking at maybe doing these, you know, certain states are looking at doing 14-day shutdowns for schools, trying to limit the unnecessary individuals who are in contacting with each other. So looking at your schools, sporting events, and all these conventions and you know again trying to make sure that you are giving individuals who need the hospital help the resources that can by only going to the hospital if you absolutely need it and anything that is not needed try to limit those so that you have more opportunities to take care of these individuals so that's that's kind of my piece so again just be smart wash your hands you know just Try to eliminate any unnecessary things, and I think that will help decrease the risk of you getting it. So for when it comes to my big picture in regards to my article, we have to understand that this is a supply and demand type of issue right now. And that's why if you go to stores, you might not see specific items that you're looking for. And we all could actually work together in this by purchasing items that we um, we'll use for ourselves and for our families, but not do it in such a way that we are trying to take everything only for ourselves and not helping out our fellow um, individual. Because at the end of the day, others need these items too, so that they can help prevent the spread. And if we all work together, we can get this thing under control. All right, my man. It's almost been an hour, and I know we were doing some pre-work pre-show work for about an hour so it's been a couple hours i gotta get back to the rest of my weekend we're doing some more family time we're doing a water day so we're gonna be 
you know, Philly is going down the street to the cousins and we're going to be playing slip and side, eating some food. So I am going to let you get out of here so that I can start my birthday week celebration. There you go. Happy birthday again. Have fun. And until next time. All right. So Marston Brothers podcast. Thank you again for listening. Like he said, we're getting out of here. Until next time, guys. Take it easy. Be safe. Wash your hands. Later. Thanks for listening to the Marston Brothers Podcast. And remember, do work and make a difference in somebody's life. What are you doing? To a microphone. Are you talking to the microphone? Yeah. Are you making noise? Yeah. How old are you? Two. Two. Yeah, I two. Okay. <laughs> what else are you doing? I do a three. You're three? Ten, eleven. Eleven? Yeah. Four? Yeah, four. And five? Okay. Okay. And six. Very good. You're going to play with... Play with grandma? No, I play Eli, okay? Eli's sleeping. Are you going to take a nap? No. Okay. I want to go on a cruise. What do you want to do? I'm going to go on a cruise. When are you going on a cruise? I'm going to go on a cruise. Maybe another time. Okay. All right. All right. All right, I'm going to press ready? stop. We're ready? Yeah. Okay. Sink. Why are you picking your nose? See? You're picking your boogers. I got this. Okay. I think we've got enough video, right? Yeah. We got enough recording? Yeah. Are we going to pay you royalties? Yeah. Okay. Anything else do you want to say? Yeah. What else do you want to say? Uh, my teeth. Your teeth? What color are your teeth? What's that? What's what? What's that? That's, I don't know. You tell me. What's that? Okay. All right, Philia.